0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45
2: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, new health advice. Why all Australians are likely to need a third COVID vaccine shot. Final countdown. Will Sydney's lockdown end as planned? The decision announced in the morning. Tropical Storm Elsa set to strengthen. We'll go live to Florida tonight. And the Indigenous Olympic legend helping break team records in Tokyo. But first, Decision Day is approaching for five million New South Wales residents with the Premier to announce if the Greater Sydney lockdown will end as planned on Friday or be extended. Here's Gladys Berejiklian earlier today.
2: We have to be mindful that what we're experiencing with this strain is something new during the pandemic. It's not something we've seen before and that's why it requires a different type of response. We only intend for this lockdown to be the only lockdown we go through and that will factor into our decision making as to whether it finishes on Friday or whether we continue for a period longer.
0: Our Sydney reporter Tom Saker joins us live from Bondi tonight. Tom, good evening. Obviously, the looming pressure on the Premier is the return to classes of more than 800,000 school students next week, but it sounds as though Sydney may not be coming out of lockdown just yet.
3: Yeah, that's right, Michael. All signs at this point certainly point to that lockdown being extended past Friday. The Premier has always said that she will be guided by the data. And at this stage, the numbers don't look all that promising. Uh, Even though cases today were roughly half what they were yesterday, 18 new cases today. But the worrying number is that two of them were active in the community during the infectious period. And that makes the job of New South Wales contact tracers especially difficult. If the lockdown was to extend past Friday, their job would be made even harder. It is unfortunate timing uh, for school students, those hundreds of thousands of school students, uh, but the numbers aren't promising, as I said. Uh, 330 cases now linked to this latest uh, outbreak and six of them in ICU. There are also a number of new venues added to the exposure list tonight. Uh, They include a Commonwealth Bank at Roselands on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday last week country growers at Parramatta and Coles at Parramatta also a construction site at Toon Gabby anyone who thinks they're at those venues should check uh, the New South Wales Health website for times test and isolate regardless of the result Michael
0: yeah all right Tom and this seems an extraordinary uh, development tonight a major error admitted by New South Wales Health tonight uh, giving the sought after Pfizer vaccines to high school students at a Sydney private school what happened here
3: Yeah, that's right. All 163 Year 12 students at St Joseph's College in Hunters Hill were given the Pfizer jab before school holidays began a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Now, the principal asked New South Wales Health on the grounds that many of those students were Indigenous and belonged to rural and remote communities. Uh, and despite uh, all Aboriginals being eligible over the age of 16 for the jab, the whole year group was given uh, the vaccination. Now, New South Wales Health put that down to simply an error, but the principal certainly welcomed the opportunity to get the whole year group uh, vaccinated through what he probably thought was a very smart and clever loophole, Michael.
0: Probably did, but it's an error nonetheless. All right, Tom Saker in Sydney, thank you workplaces could soon roll out vaccines to their employees much like the flu shot is delivered now that will be the main focus when the lieutenant general the man in charge of the national vaccine program meets with big business leaders tomorrow our reporter rob scott's in canberra with more on this story tonight rob good evening to you so vaccines at work how soon could that happen
4: Probably around September or October, Michael, that's when the big deliveries of the Pfizer vaccine start to arrive and the Moderna shot becomes part of the arsenal. But exactly how workplaces can be incorporated into the national vaccine rollout will be the focus of that roundtable meeting. The Treasurer and the bosses of several of Australia's largest employers, including Qantas, Coles and Woolworths, uh, the big four banks and mining groups, will be putting their heads together on how to make that a reality. And as you said, many of these businesses already vaccinate their workers against the flu. So giving them the COVID shot isn't too much of a leap. And it could also really help to speed up the whole vaccination program.
0: All right. Well, that's on the agenda for tomorrow, as I said. But today, uh, Lieutenant General Fruin spoke with health authorities from all the different states and territories. Here's what he said in a media conference after.
2: One of the outcomes of today is a commitment that we will need a... Uh, uh, an enhanced way to assess progress of the rollout as we go, and then to be able to decide which of the pathways is working best and how we might be able to uh, dynamically redistribute allocation of
4: vaccines as as we go.
0: All right, Rob, you better help us here. Um, What did all that mean?
4: Yeah, you do need a translator at times, don't Mm. you, to understand these things. Basically, he was detailing part of what he calls a war gaming session, so more military speak there, a session that he held with those health officials this morning, an opportunity for them to run through some of the challenges they're facing with the rollout and also to plan for worst-case scenarios. What he was saying there specifically was that they are trying to come up with a better way of examining the various programs currently used to get vaccines into arms, And make sure once those successful avenues have been identified that enough doses are sent to them to keep the momentum going. Basically redirecting doses away from those uh, programs not meeting full capacity. And a big takeaway from that meeting today was that as more vaccines come online, the states are worried they may not have enough staff to administer them. A possible solution being considered is recruiting medical students and paramedics to help.
0: I think many people watching this would be asking why wasn't this all worked out months ago? But let's take the positive, they're doing it now. Rob Scott in Canberra, thank you. While Australia's rollout is slowly gaining pace, in some countries, a third COVID vaccine booster shot is being introduced for the more vulnerable people in the community. Let's bring in Professor Mary Louise McClaws, advisor to the World Health Organisation. Mary Louise, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us again tonight.
5: Pleasure, Michael.
0: Now, there's speculation a COVID vaccine booster uh, will be necessary for anyone wanting to travel overseas. Let's talk about boosters and explain that for us, please.
5: So your first shot primes you and gets your body to produce antibodies. And of course, you also have a T cell response. So your immunity to the virus is Quite complicated, but we usually just talk about antibodies. Then your second um, um, vaccine is called the booster one, where it reminds and wakes up your immune system, and um, then you're supposed to be good to go for quite some time. However, with more research done, and as we're learning more about COVID-19, it would appear as if we would need another shot preferably around eight months. It's a bit like the flu in that we have a new flu shot each year because of the way it might change. Uh, and there's something called shift and drift, uh, the way the vi- the virus uh, changes. And some years it doesn't work well to last year's uh, influenza shot. And the same thing may happen with this one. So we have to be prepared to have maybe um, not just seasonal, which... implies annual vaccines, but maybe for a couple of years, we might have to have them a bit sooner.
0: So we're talking about a third shot, to be clear on that, a third vaccination.
5: Correct. We're talking about a third shot. Now, the the research is still being done. In the UK, they're starting to roll out that third shot. And remember, in the UK, they mainly use AstraZeneca like we do for our over 60s. And they started rolling out in um, mid-December. And so now is around the right time for them to start thinking about rolling out a booster shot. But they'll be doing research as well, uh, hopefully uh, doing blood samples to check your antibody level and looking at uh, whether or not that is declining and when it's best for you to have your booster shot. Is it eight months or is it a bit sooner? And does it change depending on your age? Because we know as you get older, your immune system gets a little tired.
0: So age dependent perhaps, but also brand or type of vaccine dependent as well? Will everybody have to have a booster?
5: I think everybody will have to have a booster and the um, Oxford University uh, researchers are doing work looking at different types of uh, doses. So they're doing studies looking at the first dose being AstraZeneca or Pfizer and then the second dose being a different one and it looks as if that mix and match may give you um, a better boost response if you have AstraZeneca first and then Pfizer next.
0: We don't want to scare people but we've only really just got to head around the Delta variant but now the Lambda coronavirus variant has arrived on Australian shores. What do we know about that?
5: well Michael, don't be too anxious yet um, certainly it's been labeled by the UK as um, and other countries as a variant under under investigation and apparently it could even um, impact uh, the vaccine worse than Delta so, Uh, It just hasn't been called a variant of concern yet because we don't know if it causes more death or more um, severe infection.
0: Well, we'll worry about that when we need to come back and talk to you about it for now. We'll still focus on Delta, I think. For our viewers in New South Wales, I think they're eagerly awaiting the Premier's decision, which is meant to be tomorrow, on lifting lockdown. 18 locally acquired cases today, two in the community. At this rate, should the lockdown be extended, do you think? And if so, should schools return on Monday?
5: I think that with an abundance of caution, I don't think we'll be lifting um, the restrictions on Friday. To be cautious, uh, the minimum would be seven days, uh, but the correct thing to do would be 14. And I think 14 would be stretching the friendship greatly yeah. by the community. Uh, but seven days, they might have a really good idea about how many might have escaped you know, I- into the greater community without uh, the authorities knowing. Mm. And I don't think that kids should be going back to school next week. Sadly, I know they love to go back to school, but um, we just need to make sure that this hasn't um, you know, leaked into yeah. any of the school community.
0: So that, that's that's the different thing this time around with Delta, isn't it? It's the it's the young infections and we really have mm. to pay attention to that is what you're saying.
5: Correct. I mean, the UK has reported uh, just recently, um, they do routine testing of the community. Five-year-olds to 12-year-olds are driving um, Delta. They and the 18 to 24-year-olds are the two biggest groups with the highest amount of um, infection in the UK, and they tested over Uh, 100,000 people. So you you need to pay um, really specific attention to the fact that we don't want the young catching this. Uh, The UK are starting to warn everybody that the young, little kids are getting what's termed long COVID. Uh, And we're not actually uh, looking at long COVID, uh, but they have support systems overseas in the UK and they have been quite shocked at the number of kids who are still sick after 12 weeks.
0: That is not good. All right, we do need to pay attention to that. All right, Mary Louise, always good to talk to you. Thank you.
5: It's a pleasure. Stay well.
0: Queensland's Premier is defending her plan to fly to Tokyo for the Olympic Games as an online petition to stop her going gains momentum. Our reporter Alex Lewis is live in Brisbane tonight. Uh, Alex, good evening to you. Anastasia Palaszczuk says she's going to Tokyo to secure Australia's next Games and she's not backing down.
2: She she certainly isn't, Michael, and that petition has just surpassed its goal of 50,000 and it's, it's climbing rather rapidly. Her critics say that she's being hypocritical by taking a place in hotel quarantine upon her return to Australia, despite her repeatedly calling for the cap on international arrivals to be reduced. In fact, following her advocacy, National Cabinet agreed to halve the limit on international arrivals last week to reduce the strain on our leaky hotel quarantine system, which has led to lockdown after lockdown. Uh, but that was hard to swallow for the tens of thousands of Australians still trapped overseas and unable to see loved ones. But Anastasia Palaszczuk says that this trip is vital for the greater good of Queensland and Australia in securing the games which will lead to jobs, infrastructure and a massive economic boost to the state. Take a listen.
5: It's been made very clear by John Coates that it would be a disaster if the head of Queensland did not go and You know, it's basically to go there, to make the pitch and to come back and then spend 14 days in hotel quarantine.
2: Well, hotel quarantine was too much to bear for a Cairns woman, a 22-year-old who flew in from Sydney last Thursday, but she only lasted a few days at the Pacific International. Police say she climbed down two balconies and kicked down a door to escape. She was later discovered at her mother's house. Uh, Police don't believe she was at much much of a risk to the community. She was only out of the hotel for one day and had indeed tested negative while in hotel quarantine. Uh, But it's the second incident at that hotel in just a few weeks, a, a Victorian man broke his legs after scaling the outside of the building must be pretty ordinary inside there, Michael.
0: Indeed. All right, Alex Lewis in Brisbane, thank you for that tonight. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Rugby League player Paul Vaughan has issued an emotional apology tonight after being sacked by the Dragons for multiple contract breaches. The 30-year-old was fired after hosting a party with 12 teammates at his home, which broke a whole lot of COVID restrictions. The other players involved were fined by the NRL and handed game bans, but will remain with the club. Have a listen. It was um, it was a very, very bad um judgment call on my behalf and it was, um, it was, it was obviously very stupid and, and um, I'm deeply, um, deeply remorseful and, and, and sorry. Melbourne's F1 Grand Prix and the MotoGP have been cancelled for a second year running. Victoria Sports Minister Martin Bakula announced the news earlier.
4: I understand that for motorsports fans and for major events fans, this is very disappointing news. We're simply not in a position to give uh, F1 management or MotoGP the sorts of guarantees and assurances and comfort that they need this week.
0: Let's bring in Georgia Love now in Melbourne. Georgia, good evening to you. Well, there was hope this might happen, but not to be, Georgia.
6: Not to be for the second year running, it's a massive loss for Melbourne sporting events. Essentially, this all boiled down to the drivers not wanting to do the 14-day mandatory quarantine. has been argy-budgy back and forth with the Victorian government. Of course, they have said that they weren't going to give an exemption for the Formula One to travel in a bubble-type arrangement and not have to quarantine. Uh, and essentially, Formula One just pulled the pin and said, well, we're not coming at all there. Now, Daniel Andrews is blaming the federal government government saying essentially it's because of our low vaccinations r- vaccination rates but the health officials have wiped their hands of it saying they were fine for the event to go ahead so it's put a bit of a dark cloud over yeah. any future international sporting events coming here
0: yeah it has indeed well hopefully that'll pick up sooner or later but uh, some big uh, footy news today in the afl georgia end of an era at the hawks
6: well and truly, after 18 years, Alistair Clarkson is t- is stepping down from the helm, passing over the reins to Sam Mitchell, someone who played under him in the four premierships he led the Hawks to in his 18-year career. Now, the contract isn't up until the end of next year, but there's no telling yet whether someone else might swoop in first. Collingwood, Carlton, the Suns or the Giants, all potentials to jump at the chance.
0: All right, George, I love in Melbourne. Thank you for that. There's been another serious truck crash at the scene of a pedestrian horror in Melbourne's Southbank earlier this year. A truck turning the corner at Power Street hit a car, crushing it into the gutter. It is the same intersection where five pedestrians were badly injured when struck by a B-double. That was in May. Drivers are being told to avoid that area tonight. Well, there's bitter family feuds and then there's this. Two brothers are pleaded guilty to criminal damage after they flew from Queensland to Victoria and hired a bulldozer to destroy their own property. Malcolm and Gary Taylor ripped apart the house in Matoa, part of their deceased parents' estate, to ensure their estranged sister was left penniless when the house went to auction. A state of emergency has been widened to cover more areas of Florida as tropical storm Elsa approaches the US coast after leaving three dead in Cuba. NBC correspondent Jay Gray joins me live in the storm's path in Florida now. Jay, good evening from Australia. Now this system still has some time to strengthen, we understand, before it makes landfall.
1: Yeah Michael, no you're absolutely right and good morning from the Florida coast where the storm system is now in the Gulf, the warm waters there feeding this system so It's going to intensify. There are a few models that say it could reach Category 1 status uh, before making landfall early tomorrow morning here, about uh, 24 hours from now. And, And what they're saying is tropical storm, hurricane, the name doesn't matter. It's going to cause some problems. Strong winds here. We're going to have driving rains for several hours. And of course, storm surge is going to be an issue. The entire area here on the Gulf side of the Florida Peninsula is really low lying. And so it struggles with the normal rain. Flooding is going to be a problem for a lot of communities, including here in Clearwater Beach. Preparations are underway at this point. A lot of people paying close attention to this storm. And even once it makes landfall, it should move through uh, the Florida area pretty quickly. It's still going to hug the eastern seaboard. will likely continue through the week to deliver winds and rain perhaps through Friday and all the way to Maine. So this is a a smaller system, but packing quite a punch, Michael.
0: Yeah, now look, it's an area used to some battering with these sort of storms, but what preparations, Jay, have been made so far?
1: Well, when you talk to a lot of people here, they're kind of watching to see exactly where the storm's gonna go. A lot of people making sure that they have enough food and, and water to sustain themselves for a couple of days without power, others saying, I've been through storms before, this doesn't look like it's that big a deal. I can tell you how big a deal it is, whether it's a hurricane or a tropical storm. The Tampa International Airport has decided it's suspending flight starting at 5 today. You would normally see people out here and uh, on surfboards or stand-up paddle boards. You'd see jet skis. All of those vendors on the beach have closed down for the next couple of days, so they're taking things seriously. What emergency managers are saying up and down the coast is whether you're going to stay or move to higher ground, the time to do that's gonna quickly run out. We've got building clouds, the yeah. wind's been picking up a bit. Get into midday here, it's gonna get dramatically worse and
0: continue to be that way for quite some time. All right, Jay Gray there in Florida, thanks for joining us tonight. And staying in Florida, Australian couple Civy and Ingrid Ainsworth have been identified, sadly, among the 28 people who died in that Miami building collapse. They had lived on Sydney's North Shore for around 20 years before moving to the United States. The pair had seven children. There are still 117 people missing nearly two weeks after that collapse. No masks, no social distancing. The UK is counting the days down to freedom, but not everyone's on board with Boris Johnson's rapid COVID exit strategy. Uh, Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfield is live for us tonight in London. Hugh, hello to you. There's a real mixed reaction uh, we hear tonight to the easing of the restrictions.
7: Hello, Michael. Yes, on one hand, you've got people who are very keen to have a return to some sense of normality as uh, summer approaches. Uh, A little bit of summer here with the rain and the sun at the same time here in London, but also a fair amount of apprehension about the risks that are being taken to ensure that life can return to some sense of normality. The Prime Minister announcing in the last 24 hours that come July 19, what's been dubbed Freedom Day. There'll be no legal requirement to work from home. All restrictions in pubs, restaurants, theatres and cinemas will be lifted as well. And there'll be no legal requirement to wear a mask in an indoor setting. So in a shopping centre, a supermarket, in an office or on public transport. Now, this is all happening as the UK records in the last 24 hours, 27,000 cases of COVID The health secretary is predicting that that could reach 50,000 cases a day by July 19, and by mid-August, he says it could be reaching 100,000 cases a day. The case numbers, even after July 19, could rise very significantly, they could double again. We're we're very straightforward about that, and uh, with that, what we need to make sure is that the vaccine take-up remains strong, so we've announced a booster program, which I plan to introduce from September. The government says they're not just relying on the science, they're backing the science, and that means backing the vaccine. More than 79 million doses delivered now across the UK. More than 33 million people are double vaccinated. And come mid-August, everyone who is double vaccinated and comes into contact with a positive case... Will no longer need to self-isolate as the Duchess of Cambridge is doing right now. It is clear that uh, the number of people in hospital and dying from COVID is significantly lower than the last big wave that the UK experienced at the start of the year. We are being told that hospitalizations will continue to rise, there will be an increase in deaths but if they don't move to a relaxation fully of restrictions now then when would they? Boris Johnson saying with summer meaning more people are outside they can take advantage of that more freedom of movement without placing extra pressure on the health service if they relax restrictions mm. in the winter when more people are inside so it's a big gamble one that Boris Johnson appears willing to take and relying as I say on that huge vaccine
0: effort Michael. Indeed well we're so early in our vaccination program we're watching whatever happens in the UK with interest so Hugh Whitfield there in London thank you for that.
1: Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: Well, not even a global pandemic can stop Australia's drive for gold. Our Tokyo-bound Olympic team is already breaking records featuring the largest number of Indigenous athletes in our history at the Games, of 472 athletes, 16 will represent the First Nations people of Australia competing in 11 sports and in another first, two-time Olympic sprint hurdler Kyle van der Kuyp has been appointed Australia's first Indigenous liaison officer at the Games. And Kyle joins me now. Kyle, good to have you on the latest tonight. Thanks for your company. Good evening, Michael. How are you? I'm really good, but uh, congratulations to you. Tell us about the new role and this, this great record here, the largest number of Indigenous athletes.
8: Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm super excited, I'm, I'm really honoured to be you know, appointed as an Indigenous Liaison Officer and now to see 16 new or some new and some past Olympians come back again and there's some names that we know, Ash Barty, Paddy Mills, but there's some, there's some Australian Indigenous athletes that you know, we're going to see for the first time and that's something I'm excited for. What do you think Indigenous
0: athletes face that many people wouldn't understand? I guess I'm going to the importance of your role.
8: Yeah, I mean, I think every every Australian has to really be given a lot of credit for the the, the perseverance they've had to all put in. But I think with Indigenous athletes, uh, some of the opportunities um, you know don't don't come as easy. Indigenous Australians we only make up three percent of the Australian population, so. That's probably, you know, just over five, six hundred thousand. So definitely if you look back in history, you see that we've always shone out on the sporting field. It's always been the leveller. It's always been somewhere where we can be accepted, we can be embraced. So I'm not surprised when I see Indigenous talent come through, but, um, yeah, I'm wanting that number to be greater and greater. And, you know, with Brisbane coming up and hopefully, fingers crossed, we get the bid, uh, you know, I want to see triple figures in in 10 years' time. I'm just so happy that conversations are happening around how do we get more inclusion. I just feel like I'm just playing one little part, but I'm I'm really proud to put green and gold back on again. When you look back at yourself competing in the games, uh, how do you reflect on yourself? I've got great memories of Atlanta making the Olympic final. Uh, Sydney Olympics is still, you know, fond memories. Um, running the semi-final the same night as Tatiana and Kathy ran that that beautiful race in the 400. Mm. so when I competed there was so many um, remote communities watching me and it was yeah. it was elders and aunties and grandmas that came up to me after I finished and said you know we we watched you 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 made us proud um yeah. uh, Indigenous Australia needs the, these positive stories so Every one of those 16 athletes will will have a ripple effect across all all of Australia.
0: It's fantastic news. It's it's a wonderful record to smash before we even get to the games. Uh, before we go, I'd I'd like to talk to you. It is NADOC Week, of course. Let me ask you what NADOC Week means for you. The the theme being healing this year.
8: Oh, NADOC Week is always important to me, and I think this this theme this year is is a beautiful one. Like heal country, it's. Um, it's not so much about Indigenous people thinking about the healing, but it's also all Australians coming together and, and walking on that journey with us, and, and we've got people connected to country that, yeah. that have been there for 60,000-plus 60 60, years. So, you know, it's not our culture, it's everyone. so everyone should celebrate it.
0: Well, what a great week and what an amazing couple of weeks coming up as well. You're about to take all this great sentiment from this week into the Olympic journey. You're about to go on again with those fantastic young kids that no doubt are going to do Australia proud. Kyle, lovely to talk to you. Really good to talk to you. And good luck for the Games. Get back into the green and gold. Thank you, Matt. Now, Jim Rackton's here with a look at the markets.
6: Thanks, Michael. A mixed bag across Asia, but a dismal end to the trading day here in Australia. The Reserve Bank's indication it'll start gradually pulling back its unprecedented support. Our local share market plunged after that, with tech and healthcare stocks bearing the brunt of the sell-off. After scaling new heights on Friday and a day of rest for the July 4th holiday yesterday, US markets are looking a little directionless ahead of tonight's open. The oil price continues to rise after negotiations between the OPEC Plus group of the world's biggest oil producers fell apart last night. And the share market may not have liked the Reserve Bank's news, but the Aussie dollar sure did. It's jumped up to 75.8 US cents. Michael.
0: Thank you, Gemma. Well, Hollywood's in mourning for director Richard Donner, who's died at the age of 91. In the 1960s, he directed TV favourites like Get Smart and Gilligan's Island. He was also behind the iconic Superman movie starring Christopher Reeve, The Goonies and The Lethal Weapon, blockbuster films. Actors have been sharing tributes, including Danny Glover, Sylvester Stallone and Mel Gibson. His close friend Steven Spielberg called him a staunch ally and the greatest Goonie of all. Now, last week we told you about little Echo, who survived 12 days caught inside a retaining wall. Sadly, we have to report to you, Echo hasn't had an easy homecoming. It was quite an amazing survival. But the dog, who's a companion for his young mate there, Lincoln Randall, they're inseparable. He's lost a second eye since he was found, the poor pup. The dirt that was caught in his eyes caused a serious infection. Uh, The Randall family is now raising money for his vet bills ahead of surgery on Monday, but those two are inseparable regardless. Well, thank you for your company this evening from the team here at Seven News. That is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a good night.